Yes, baby, it's still classified as a car, even if it comes in boxes. Welcome to the Ferrari Hub Podcast, where we will be talking Ferraris. And now your host, Andy Rasul. Welcome to episode three of the Ferrari Hub Podcast. So if this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you've listened to our other two episodes before, welcome back. So today's episode's a really good one. It's actually interviewing somebody who I've been following for a number of years um, in the Ferrari world. His name is Tom Young. Uh, some of you may know him as Tom Yang, but uh, his, it's actually pronounced Tom Young, as he will tell you later. Um, and he is somebody who's... Um, he bought a Ferrari 330 America many, many years ago, back in 99, I think it was. And he restored that car over eight years. And the interview that will take place will actually be a sort of conversation with me and him talking about the restoration of the car and the type of things that he had to do to it. Um, and, you know, what he uh, had to um, go through over those over that eight year period in order to get the car on the road and in the condition that it's in. It's not a concourse condition car. He never intended for it to be so. Um, but he wanted a car that he could use on the weekends um, in the summer. And that's exactly what he's he's been able to do. But he, there's so much that went into that car. And I don't really want to give too much away because um, you'll hear that in the uh, interview itself. Now, the podcast episode is great, but you probably want to also have a look at pictures of the car. So this is a podcast. We can't obviously show you on here. But if you go to our website, we actually have dedicated pages for each and every episode, um, which will have pictures of the vehicles that we're talking about. So if you go to, there's a short link for you. So if you go to ferrarihub.com forward slash EP3, that will take you to the episode to this particular episode on our website and you'll see lots of pictures there of Tom and his car um, so you'll get a good idea of um, the car that we're talking about and what he's the condition that he got it in and what he actually had to go through um, the various stages to where he's um, got the car to now so check that out ferrarihub.com forward slash ep3 but I would like to warn you that this interview was so good and so long, I didn't want to cut anything out of it. So I've actually split it out into two separate episodes. So the first episode is going to be today's. Uh, and then the second part of this episode is going to be in a week from today. Um, apologies, but otherwise it would have just been too long. And there was so much good content, so I didn't want to cut anything out of it. Also, I just wanted to mention that we are giving away a 22-page free ebook on our websites to anybody who subscribes. So um, subscription to the website is free. There's no charge for any of that. Uh, and what we will do is on a weekly basis, we'll just send you a short newsletter just to highlight some of the best content that's coming out on the site, whether it's news related or details on the latest podcast or some other details that we might be adding on. Um, we will send that to you in a, in a short um uh, email. We promise not to bombard you with loads of information. And as a thank you for signing up um, to the subscription, to subscribing to the website, we will send you this free 22-page ebook directly to your inbox. Before we get into this week's episode, I just want to thank our sponsor for today. They are Supercar Italia. They're based in Biggin Hill in Kent, right by Biggin Hill Airports. They specialize in servicing, repairs, and bodywork for Ferraris, Lamborghini and Maserati, as well as all types of supercars. They combine over 60 years technical know-how. They don't just work on the new cars, but they're also very familiar with the old cars as well. 
having been around their workshop, I've seen them working on the new 458s, uh, right down to the old 365s and older cars than that. And they can do anything from a simple oil change on a vehicle to a full restoration. And if you are a foreign buyer and want to do a pre-purchase inspection on a car, they can arrange for the vehicle to be transported to their workshops and carry out a full inspection for you, whichever country you're based in. In their words, they are as passionate about the work on your car as you are about owning the car and driving the car. So if you want more information, check them out at supercaritalia.co.uk. Now on to the show. Well, welcome everybody. Uh, this is episode three of the uh, Ferrari Hub podcast. I've got a special guest on the line. Um, some of you may already know him, and if you don't, um, then you will get to know him in this episode. His name is Tom Young, and he uh, he is um, he, he's a bit of a legend in the uh, classic car sector or the Ferrari world. Uh, he has a website called TomYoung.net, and uh, I'll, I'll let him introduce himself and give his background and. Uh, then you know we'll, we'll we'll dive into some questions. So Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks, Andy. Nice to nice to have to be on the show. Um, just to clarify, it is Tom Young, but it is spelled T O M Y A N G, and that's the website. But uh, thanks for having me. Oh, no problem at all. Well, welcome. Um, I have to admit, I've always known you as Tom Yang, which is obviously the wrong way to say it. Um, Tom Young, but spelt with an A. Um, no, just to add a little confusion, but it's it's funny. It's like if you've met me in person or, or if you listen to this podcast and you'll know me as Tom Young, if you've never met me in person, I certainly will go by Tom Yang. It's, uh, <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. But uh, that's the way you know whether or not you met me in person or you know me that much. Closer, ah, okay. But, uh, I appreciate it. Interesting, interesting. Well, Tom, you, you are... Um, you're, you, I have to admit, you're a bit of a hero of mine because the thing is, you've been blogging about Ferraris since 1999. The the term blog didn't actually come into place until 1999, which is just amazing. You've been doing it for that long. Um, so even before sort of all these other people were blogging, you've been a blogger. Well, and I think that's the funny thing. is like I, I'm, I'm flattered by being called a legend, but I think what happens is it's the, the joke is I've been around for so long. It's like people know you, but it, it's just simply because of uh, through attrition. You know, you think about what, what's been around for that long. There really hasn't been. Yeah. But yes, in uh, 1999, it, it all started where, uh, you know, there was, I, I, I had this car. I, I had all this data. I needed to put it somewhere. I, I heard about this thing that was called the World Wide Web. My yeah. background was media. Mm -hmm. And I said, wow, you know, this is pictures and story. Well, I should really learn how to do this thing called HTML. So yeah, I, yeah. I said, wow, well, I got pictures and story. Why don't I just put that up there? And it wasn't really even expecting that people were going to follow it. I just I just had something that I was doing every week that, that was perfect for this. And right. then I've never looked back. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you, you're... Um... Your community and you know on, on the sites has grown and grown and grown and uh, you know I actually started reading your content probably back in '99 um, and I remember the um, the Millennium the post that you did around the Millennium and things like that so that's why I'm thinking I was actually probably reading it right at the beginning um, and it, you know in those days you know you sort of posting every few days and you know sort of having to wait for new contents then i'd sort of catch up and i'd be up to date and then you know be like okay when's tom gonna post again you know and i remember sort of getting to a point and you know maybe a year or two passed and i hadn't caught up with your blog um and then going back and reading it again but then thinking you know what i'm just going to read this whole thing again so I started back from 1999 again and read the whole story <laughs> again um you know, and and I've actually passed the details of your blog on to sort of non, 
sort of Ferrari people, so to speak, you know, people who are generally into cars. Um, and, you know, they've been just as hooked on your content as I have. So, you know, it's, it's, well, it's true. Cool. It's, it's, it's like what, it's like watching the saga. It's like, uh, and, and if you, uh, you know, some of it was just my own personal exploits that, that you just put up there just, you yeah. know, and I think that's the same reason why blogging became so popular was that you were mm-hmm. just, you're, you're living vicariously through someone else. And, and if it was about putting a Ferrari together from scratch, yeah. um, you know, then, then that was something that you didn't have to suffer through and that you certainly watched me suffer through some of it. Yeah. And, yeah. and, um, I think and so- it was, it was fun. And, and go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think saga is the right word because so many times I thought to myself, another roadblock, how are you going to get past this one? You know, it's just, um, you know, there's, there's so many things that you had to overcome with your car. Um, that it, oh, sure. it, you know, it, it was interesting to read, but I do feel sorry for you at the same time. But you got there in the end. Yeah, sure. No, I tr- I felt like that all the time. I mean, it was just that uh, you know what what if if you felt that way, how do you think I felt at Ground uh, Zero? I mean, I, I was sitting there trying to figure out what I was going to do, and and what I did was I had a full time job, so mm. the idea of it was that I I just worked on it one day a week and then would blog about it, and yeah. so I had all this. Uh, you know, I had everybody watch me and, and again, not expecting it, but as it started to grow into the second, third, fourth year and more and more people followed it, I was like, Oh my God, now, not only do I have to get this car fixed, but now I have the responsibility of people watching over my shoulder. <laughs> so it, it was just like, a, I knew perfectly. Well. That was in one way I kind of felt like, and I never really set it up for people to directly respond to me. I certainly got emails from people, but mm. I knew there were a lot of people out there just lurking in the background. And, and yeah. it was just, I had a responsibility to, to the way that I was going to be projecting myself out there. And it, it really changed through the years. And, and, and I think that I do owe it to, to a lot of people around me. Just even if you were never responded to me, mm. I, I did feel that. Uh, that that presence and and it certainly pushed me on. If, if there was inspiration, that there was inspiration, and I do have to take this time to thank people for for being out there and knowing that you're out there watching me and made me do a a, a better job and and keep going at what I did. No, I th- I think definitely the thanks is the other way. As one of your your readers, you know, following you um, on, through you know through your uh, through your journey, um, you know, it was great um for us and and with without sort of giving anything away the story kind of continues but before we go into anything let's just talk about the car you've mentioned it a few times and a lot of people that might not actually know um you know the the, the vehicle it is that it is that you purchased so why don't you just give us a little bit of detail around that sure i mean it, it's a it's a 1963 330 america um it's a it's a you know vintage ferrari v12 4 liter v12 uh, model um, it, it originally was built as a 250 GTE, which was a, one of the first real 2 plus 2 production cars that Ferrari put out. Um, it was considered the bread and butter of Ferrari in the 60s. I mean, they, they made you know more of those cars than anything else, and it really helped them fund their Formula One program through the early 60s. So, and, so and sorry, when you say more, I mean, what sort of numbers were made of these so a 250 GTE, uh, according to the registries, you know, they built about 955 or 950 of those units. And then the last 50 models, which were the same body type, was what they called the 330 America. And what they did was they shoehorned the larger engine. The 250 GTEs were three-liter V12s. Right. They came out with a four-liter V12 in, in 1963, about to build for the next uh, larger engine, dis- you know, larger displacement cars. And, mm. and they had basically the rumor among us historians and, and, and followers said, well, Ferrari probably had 50 leftover Pina Farina bodies <laughs> right. for the 250 GTE. And so the factory said, well, let's just make this 
this one-off, you know, limited production. We'll just squeeze, shoehorn, you know, it's almost, you could see at the factory, hey, see if that four-liter engine fits <laughs> yeah. in 250 GT because we got to get rid of these cho- bodies, but we don't have, we, we stopped, found, the foundry stopped casting the, the four-liter engine or the three-liter engine. Right. So right. they created this 330 America and it fit. It uh, Trust me, it, it's a shoehorn. I mean, it yeah. really takes some pushing to get that engine in that engine bay. But, wow. um, and uh, so that's the car that I ended up buying. Um, it it, it kind of goes back to going, how did I get to buy that car? Mm-hmm. I was on the hunt for a V12 Ferrari and uh, saw the ad in, in Hemmings uh, Motor News, which in the States is the big, you know, Bible of, of want ads mm-hmm. back. And I guess towards the, the late 90s, you know, we're still reading those paper yeah. You know, when you think about the landscape of, of car buying and everything, we're, we're still looking at paper printed, uh, you know, magazines, yeah. but uh, yeah. I saw that car and, and, uh, it was, uh, it was a nine hour drive from New York and, and wow. uh, where I live. And, um, I, I, I knew immediately it's, you know, it's just this ad. I, I think I have it. I have the ad still printed on my website somewhere where it's just like, you know, three thirty America, you know, uh, and it was just, I knew what it was and mm-hmm. I said, okay, well that's a rare car. So if I'm going to buy, a project car that would probably be the one to buy because it's a it's a little bit of a hot rod right um, right so so that then then i uh that's the car i ended up with but maybe to backtrack a little bit andy it was, was yeah. just to say you know i i had always been into cars i always tinkered with cars ever since high school and yeah and uh i i, I, I remember I from was, the blog you you had a um it, it was a mustang was it and a and a sunbeam yes yeah, when I was in high school, I drove a, a '66 Mustang, and then I, I, you know, still kept the Mustangs. I ended up with with my '65 Fastback. I had a Sunbeam. I at the time, um, I was really into 911s. I had a, a, a '72 911. I right. was tracking it. I was taking it to driver's education uh, court, you know, things like that, and mm-hmm. and just really enjoying the heck out of owning these cars. Just you know, I kind of felt I had a nice little collection of you know. Uh, of uh, American muscle car or American mm, pony car. Yeah. I had a British two-seater roadster. I had a German high performance. And then someone introduced me to um, my, who I ended up working for, Francois Sicard, mm. who locally in, in Connecticut was considered a bit of a legend. He had worked for Kennedy Motors in, in New York, the New York, North American importer in the, in the 60s, 50s, 60s and, and yeah. onwards um, for Ferrari. Mm-hmm. And I was introduced to him because uh, he was working for things, mutual friends of ours. And, and, uh, and when I met him, I remember the day I went to his shop, yeah. knew nothing about Ferraris. I mean, just practically, you know, seen them, admired them, but didn't really know much. And in his shop was a 250 short wheelbase that he had restored. Wow. And it was just something that was so sleek, beautiful, and and it was just it was no other shape that that I'd ever seen. And once he fired that engine up for me, and I heard it run, mm. I I think it's like one of those aha moments. It's like I don't know what it's going to take, but I got to get one of these things. Yeah, like I don't yeah. I don't know anything about. Yeah, it's just it's one of those moments in your life that. He's like, look, I might think these cars are cool or all this stuff that I have is really cool, but whatever's going on here with this 12-cylinder Ferrari is mm-hmm. something I have no knowledge about, but yeah, I got to learn everything about it. And yeah. maybe one of these days I have to get one. Right. So that's the path that I took. And, and, and I would just take every moment to visit him and, and talk to him and pick his brain. Mm. And I remember one day, I don't know if it was out of frustration, he just said, you know, look, 
these cars, you can get one. You don't, you might not be able to get a short wheelbase, but you know, there are these cars, 250 GTEs, the two plus twos. Mm-hmm. People take them apart all the time. They, they, he, he saw that I was able, capable of, of a certain amount of mechanical skill. And he said, look, mm-hmm. find one that's taken apart and, and I'll help you put it back together. It's not really that hard. He goes, you just need a certain amount of guidance. And, yeah. and that kind of, you know, inspiration stuck to me and, and I just kept looking. And, and when this ad in Hemmings popped up out of nowhere, yeah, I, I, I called him up and I said, remember that time you said you would help me? Would, would you do it? And he, he said, well, let's just make sure it's the right car. Right. And, right. and that's how it all happened. And, and, um, so you know, how, how much, he, how much guided... later after you sort of initially had that Ferrari experience, how much later did you purchase this car then? It was probably about a year and a half. Okay. It was probably about a year and a half because you, you know, you're looking at how you're, you're trying to put your, together your budget. You're trying mm-hmm. to put together, you know, where are you going to put this car? You know, what yeah. kind of, you know, you never know. Cause I looked at cars that were done. Yeah. I looked at, you know, I, I went for a year and a half and just looked at all sorts of cars. I mm-hmm. looked at, uh, you know, projects. I looked at cars and, and just tried to fit your budget. I mean, it's, it's very similar to any large purchase in your life. Like you're buying yeah. a house, like which, yeah. what are you going to buy? You're going to buy a, one that's done or you're going to buy a fixer upper, you know, yeah. and, yeah, and yeah, how yeah. much can you afford and how much can you borrow and yeah. beg, borrow and steal to, to do it. And, and that's, that's really, and when, when everything aligns, you just, after looking at enough of them, you know, the, I guess you just decide which one you're going to pull the trigger on. I mean, that's, that's the real yeah. decision. And this one just kind of Everything kind of fell in place, and 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 he agreed to it. We did an inventory of the car, despite the fact that it had been off the road for, for dozens of years. It it was it was pretty much complete. I mean, everything was there. I remember it was it was missing like a heater box. It was or a, a little fan motor, mm-hmm. and it was missing a couple trim pieces. And other than that, it it, it was pretty much complete. Wow. Okay. So, uh, so, so just just for the listeners, I mean, what I am going to do is I'm going to take a couple of the pictures and put them onto the website, um, just so that they can visually see what it is that we're talking about here. Because I mean, literally, the car. It, I mean, apart from you know having the wheels on it, it did come in boxes. I mean, lots and lots of the parts were in boxes, and it's you know it's it's probably not how most people would imagine buying a car or buying a Ferrari. Um, and it's, it's, it's going to take a very brave man. And, you know, obviously you were when you did that, but, um, you know, well, it, it wasn't so much as brave. It was just, you, you didn't have a choice. It's like, if you, if you wanted that car and it was, the, uh, it was what I could afford, it, you know, and I think some of us, and most of us who work on cars, we're all dreamers. We're all yeah. optimists. Yeah. It doesn't look as bad to us when we yeah. first see yeah. it. I mean, and I'll have to confide to you. The, the first time I, I, I looked at this car and I, I put it on the trailer, I was like, oh, well, this is probably only take about a year to put it back together. I mean, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I was such so foolish in designing that, but you know, I think we're all optimists about how long, uh, you know, something is going to take because we, we we tend to see the the final product before you know anyone else does. Yeah, and, and I, I can um, certainly and, relate. And, and, I can certainly relate to that. I mean, I've got a, a 400i which I purchased last year, and um, I bought it sight unseen. I'd just seen a couple of photographs of it, um, and I wasn't even sure if it was running because the guy who I bought it from, he bought it from somebody else. And he had not had the opportunity to test the engine. Um, so he had had it about two years and it needed a restoration. I mean, the interior was in, in immaculate condition. It's only done 40,000 miles. Um, but he wasn't sure if the engine was running. So I took a, I took a chance on it. We had the car delivered, um, got the car to the garage, um, opened the, the hood, checked all the oils, the fluids. Everything seemed to be okay. So we thought, well, let's give it a try. Jump started it and it fired up perfectly first time. It's amazing. The card sat That's there for great. 10 years. 
Um, that's great. But you know, and, and you you understand that the 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 luck of that could have gone either. Oh, it was yeah. it was like a fifty fifty chance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Actually, it was probably worse than fifty fifty. But you know, it was uh, right, right. You know, so, but you know, as, we, as they say in the states, right? You you go from hero to zero in a yeah. in a matter of seconds, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But no, but uh, yeah. So we, you know, and the same thing. It's like uh, I remember telling my uh, my wife at that time we we weren't married, but I, I had said to her, "I'm thinking about doing this," and and she said, uh, "Well, you know, I don't really care about all the other cars, but I'm coming with you to make sure you don't make a horrible, horrible <laughs> mistake." And and uh, even though I don't think she really had much say in it, you know, when I made the decision, it was yeah. still one of these things where I think that if it were up to our 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 wives or significant others, you know, yeah. if if they really had a a, a, a powerful say over these decisions we wouldn't get we wouldn't have any car restored because yeah. uh, we, we always have these uh thinking oh it can't be that bad and they're like are you crazy this, yeah you know, yeah, car's yeah. Coming in complete boxes no exactly you know, it's actually so, quite it's actually quite funny because my wife is kind of just like at this stage now she's just like oh god here we go again but the funny thing was um at the time i had a 456m at the, at the same time and i you know my son had always said ah oh, dad that car's going to be mine and so when i bought the 400 my daughter said that car's going to be mine. And then I took her to the garage to have a look at it after I had bought it. And she was almost in tears. She's like, it's in pieces. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want this. Right. (laughs) That's right. Well, like I said, if you, if you do her right, eventually it'll be, it'll be something that she'll be proud to own. Yeah, exactly. Now, now she's comfortable with it. Now she's like, okay, fine. Yes, we need to restore it, but it'd be great after that. So, you know, positive thinking. But that's yeah. right. So, so you, you, you then, you then had to trailer this car home, obviously, because it wasn't in a drivable condition. Um, sure. And, and a lot sure. of it came in boxes as well. It was all in boxes. I mean, the car, I mean, the, 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 so the story in this car was that it was painted. A gentleman had bought it in Chicago in like the late seventies right. and then, uh, basically brought it back to the, you know, Roanoke, Virginia, which is, which is in Roanoke is one of those places in the States. It's just in the middle of nowhere. It's not really close. It's, it's probably at least four or five hours drive from a main major wow. city, wow. you know? Um, and so, so it was, uh, it, it was down in, in, in the middle of nowhere. So his feeling was he was 72 years old and he, he and he had taken 20 some odd years to take this car completely apart. He had a friend of his paint it, you know, and it was traded mm-hmm. out. I think it was a shade tree mechanic that, 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 that had, that had painted the car right. and they had disassembled it. So the engine was in his basement. The transmission was at the shop was that, you know, he had three different locations where all the car was scattered. And that's what's so surprised that all the parts were still there. Right, but he right. said to me that, you know, after all these years, he was never going to remember how to put it back together. Mm. And, and in, in the, uh, in, in Roanoke, it wasn't like you have a lot of Ferrari people already. So yeah, you know, just picking exactly. Up loose parts and boxes. Where did they go? I mean, he yeah. was, he, he's not going to remember. So he just decided to sell it. I mean, of when course, I nowadays came, I, I got... rented, Sorry, I was going to say, of course, nowadays we've got the internet and there's so many resources out there which you can sort of go to to sure. sort of ask advice and things like that. But, you know, I would imagine for him, it's, it's still just like, not an easy. Yeah, it's still for him. It was absolutely impossible. Yeah. And he had just and 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 so he he uh, said that the engine had been worked on by a, a friend. You know, a lot of stuff was traded out. He had mm. done trades to get work done. And and so I, I said I would take the whole thing. The car was, uh, you know, two stage uh painted so it had the clear coat base coat red you know unfortunately mm. it painted it uh corsa rosa which is for a vintage car i kind of feel like that's that's too bright of a red mm. um mm. but it's, it's the standard ferrari color that everybody was painting cars you know through the years and, yeah. and uh, as they you know it's like the resale red or, mm. or or that color so but at the same time you know the paint looked decent um yeah. i 
decided at that point that if I were to take it back, I would touch, I would not do any body work because mm -hmm. if I had stripped the original, the paint that they had done on it and looked it further, I think you, you, you're, you're opening up a can of worms. You're yeah, looking definitely. and you're going to find other issues. So I had decided mm -hmm. that I was going to bring the car back and just assemble it because it, all the bright work, everything had been disassembled. The engine was out, transmission was out, interior was out. Mm -hmm. It was just a painted body shell. Right. So I, I said, well, I'll start at the process of putting it back together. Mm. Um, when I got it back, uh, what, the way we did it was Francois, my boss, or at that mm. time was just a friend mm. uh, working with him. He, I found a space to work on the car that was about 10 to 15 minute drive from his shop. So okay. the plan was we would take the car, we would put everything in organize. He, he sat with me for a couple of days and we just kind of laid everything out on shelves. Just, mm. just okay, we have two door window uh, crank, we have two window cranks, we have two door poles, we have this, this, this. <laughs> right. And you laid them all out on the shelves, just to inventory to make sure we had everything. And, you know, luckily it was true. We weren't missing that many pieces. Yeah. But we, we recognized that we needed to disassemble assemble further i mean the brakes that were still on the car the hubs were still on the car so mm. and and uh, of course engine would have to be looked at yeah so we just started that process what i did recognize and i think i recognized early on is that any project requires steady forward progress right um and and if you yeah. don't do it i think all of us every one of us everybody out there listening to this podcast if you do not put commitment to something on a steady basis you mm -hmm. will never get it done because yeah, every yeah. sunday morning you're you will have something to fix in the house or you will have to do something or you have to run to the an errand to the store yeah and if you if you if you let that take over your life any project that you want to get done will never get done and i recognized that early mm, on yeah i was fortunate enough to have one day a week off where i i had got my job till i can work four days a week and I was getting a Friday off. And right. I had said to, to my wife, I said, well, pretend I don't, I work on Friday. Pretend that I, you know, that I, I go to work. Mm. So I'm not going to be asked to run to the, to pick up the dry cleaning or that we're going to have to go to the home center or that we're going to have to, you know, cut the grass or something that, that I'm gone on a Friday. And, yeah. and so I'm still around on a Saturday and Sunday, committed a hundred percent, but I, I'm not around on a Friday. Yeah. And that yeah. became my steady forward progress. I, I called it my Ferrari Friday. Right. Every Friday, I would go and, and crack a dawn, I'd get up, I would drive up. I was living in Manhattan at that time. Yeah. Not a good place for, for a car guy, but, you know, I drove an hour north to, to, to Connecticut to where, where Francois was or where the car was, and, right. and I would start my day, and Francois would either meet me or we would have a plan. Today, he would say in his French accent, it was, today you take the, you know, the hub off, you take right. you this, 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 and this is how it comes out. And he would show me how to take it off or what to look out for, yeah. what was right-hand thread or left-hand thread, mm. and I would disassemble it. Then I would take it over to a shop, and, and that would be an eight- to ten-hour day right. every Friday. I would come home. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I think if you follow the blog early on, mm. usually by Saturday morning on East Coast time, you would have a blog post because I'd be writing it about Friday right. night or Saturday morning about right. what I had done. And yeah. people would look forward to doing that. And I did that for, for basically years. I mean, I, I think out of 52 Fridays, it would be 50 Fridays. I would, I would try to commit to that car. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course, you, 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 had, you had all the audience watching as well and uh, you know anticipating sure. your next updates right and 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 then the funny thing was that by the by the second year or so as you're really moving along um if i missed a, a post you'd, you'd have people respond to me because blogging is almost as if they think that that's the 
sign of life yeah. <laughs> is that something was, was wrong because I had missed a post or two because I was either on vacation or it was actually a holiday. But uh, I, I, would just, I recognized that it was a commitment. Yeah, I would just get frustrated. I mean, you know, if, if you hadn't blogged on a particular uh, Friday, Saturday, I'd be like, ah, come on, Tom, get on with it. But uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So I, I, I now had a, not only did I have a job to put the car together, but I had a commitment and a job to to all the people look at living through uh through that restoration with me but it was good it was yeah. it spurred me on to keep going i mean yeah. i obviously had um you know run into problems i don't think there's any any restoration ever runs you know is ever without problems mm-hmm. and and you just need to overcome them and and uh you know i, I we had issues very early on you know the engine was supposedly traded out and it was done and when Francois turned it on his engine stand, he, I remember him calling me over and he says, you know, we have a problem. I mean, I hate showing up on a Friday morning at a shop. He says, we have a problem. That yeah, was yeah, yeah. the most heartbreaking thing to hear in the morning. But uh, he, he would say, here, come and look. And we turned the engine over and, you know, just by hand, he could tell. And he's one of these old world craftsmen that have been doing mm-hmm. it for so many years. He just had a feel for things. And he yeah. says, you feel this? Yeah. And he would say, that's too tight. And I would sit there and say, how does he know that that's yeah, too tight? Like, there's yeah. no gauge or anything. And and he would say that's that's too tight. There's something wrong. We have we're gonna have to take this engine apart. And I was just mm-hmm. like I can't. I, I just you know of, of of course the first white fear is oh my god what what is it gonna cost to yeah. take this apart? <laughs> and then what could be wrong with it? You know. But yeah. but what choice did you have? You're you're already into the into the car. So we went ahead and disassembled the engine. And and sure sure as heck he. He he opened it up and and the the ring the end gaps on mm. the rings were were poorly cut so so they were over they were they were too long mm. and he basically realized that if if he had started the engine the way it was the engine would have seized within minutes wow. after it warmed Gosh. up because the end gaps on the rings would have would have expanded and then would have seized up the engine so yeah. his his insightfulness and in, into understanding how things went together was 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 key into into preventing those those kind of issues wow. and and that that was like the also the 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 learning experience for me working with him because i i sort of recognized that wow this this guy's got a lot of skills that yeah. that really are are only passed down by him standing next to me and saying you know this is how tight it should be and yeah. that's too tight and and these these were not like values on a on a on a gauge or or a torque uh torque wrench mm. there were things that he would say you know i would say how tight do you need this tight or very tight and yeah to translate that to my own muscle memory as to what things felt like yeah and i yeah. started to understand that you know those instincts were things that he picked up through many many years of working and knowing what works and what doesn't work mm. and also translating a lot of that to speaking to new people that I were that I was meeting in the business that that were trained differently and mm. and them understanding that hey you know these are what we use to to measure all this stuff and trying to find a happy medium between the two between yeah. someone who who knows by feel and another guy who knows by by uh, engineering standards mm. and, yeah. and so it was it was fascinating to understand that and to see that his style Francois's style of 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 uh, mechanics was a was a trade that was being lost and and yeah maybe i was just gonna say for better yeah yeah i was just gonna say and, that as and, well that and, you know it's it's you know because you know there, there is because obviously now with the more modern cars you know everything is done in a very different way you know you have computers and things like that as well but on these older cars i mean you, you really need to have somebody who's an expert looking at them to know what they're doing because i mean i've read so many horror stories of cars that have gone into a, a particular shop you know to be done and 
you know, the, you know, problems have not been resolved, and you know, the you know bills are sort of massive, and then they take the car away, and then you know, all of a sudden the problems still there and there's another problem that's now occurred as well you know so you really need to have somebody who knows what they're doing with these cars sure and on top of it ferrari perhaps sometimes is is even more temperamental simply because of the low production numbers i mean Mm -hmm. when you think about production numbers of other cars where there are hundreds of thousands of units i mean even back Mm -hmm. in the 60s you compare like let's say my mustang to to my ferrari Mm -hmm. basically the same layout front engine rear drive live rear axle Mm -hmm. you know uh but yet at the same time they made a quarter million mustangs in one year of one particular body wow so if they had a problem with those cars they there there was a quarter million people out there driving them Mm -hmm. okay so Ferrari made 950 total production yeah. of that particular model. Yeah. So wh- how much testing and tuning did they do on the first cars? Now, they did enough of it to understand mm. and obviously had the same engine in many, many cars. Mm. But the problems to fix them, you know, might the, a certain problem might not show up. Or if yeah. it showed up in three cars, it wasn't enough of a sampling for them to understand what, what was wrong with it. So, sure. so it takes a lot more diligence and 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 i don't even know what it is but you can start mm. to understand why these cars can be so hard to repair because yeah. initially they just didn't have as much experience in, in in having that many cars being built and built them one after another and 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 being hand built each one of them is slightly different you yeah. know so yeah. each engine is slightly different or yeah. or the way it's handled or the way it's assembled and and, and, and uh, even, you know, some, even, it, even the body is is they're all sort of individual i mean I, i've i've read about you know you can take the doors off one car and it won't quite fit onto the doors of another of the same time. Oh, it absolutely will not fit. Yeah. It will absolutely not fit. (laughs) I mean, we, we joke about it. It's like, don't, if you, you know, we, the first thing in a upholsterer that works on a Ferrari large is you never take a door panel from a side and just mirror it to the other side because that Mm. will never, ever fit. You know, you, you have to make each piece fit. It's particular. And that's why, you know, what I love about the earlier cars, and it certainly carries on to the later cars because mm. they're still pretty much hand fit, yeah. is that they put they put numbers, they put little crayon numbers on everything because as yeah. the guy spent the day fitting that door panel or an hour or two fitting that door panel, he mm. put a number on there to make sure that that went with the same car that he yeah. had just fitted to because yeah. you can't just pull it off the shelf and put it on the one behind it because sure. it won't fit. Sure. sure. Uh, and and to me, that's kind of the allure of, of the older cars is that there's you still have the the markings and the and the craftsmanship. When I take yeah. the paint off of a car, and I look underneath the fender, I, I can still see the hammer marks to maybe a craftsman that's long gone, mm, but his yeah. work, his handiwork, is still present in in a car. That's kind of neat. You know, yeah. it's kind of like an artifact. Of, yeah, of absolutely, absolutely. You know? So so your particular so, car, your uh, car, did it did it come with the matching engine gearbox or was um, was yes. it? It was. Yes, okay. everything, you know, everything was there. I mean, it, it would mm. it had been apart, but it, it was still the correct engine, correct gearbox, everything as far as I know. I mean, mm. if you think about going back that many years um, uh, since the early 70s and then no other history before it that, that yeah. ever, you know, and, I, and I actually since then been able to track down um, the uh, the ownership history um, <clears throat> pretty far back that, that I, I, yeah, it's definitely, oh, right. it's, the only thing I have not done is the classic case certification. Okay. Um, I probably may one day do it, but I, you know, I'm pretty sure that there's no sign of the history when you follow it back that, yeah. that, that, that it shouldn't all line up as far as all the numbers and, yeah. and, uh, matching, uh, you know, gearbox and a lot of other stuff. Sure. In okay. So, so but, your, so your car, you got it back and you got it in pieces and you started working on it yourself. So mm-hmm. just just give us a flavor of um, I mean I, I know pretty much 
you know, having read your blog, I know sort of what you've done in it, but just give us a flavor of the type of things that you've had to face. Sure. So we, you know, obviously we had that engine issue. So we, we had to basically re- rebuild the engine again. Mm. Um, again, part of it for me at that time and it, uh, Ferraris, if we put things in context, especially the two plus twos had not yet really taken off. They just sure. started to a 99. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I tell, I, I've heard saying this quote all the time back in, in 99 when I, I paid, I'll, I'll tell you the prices. I paid thirty thousand dollars for my wow. three thirty America in boxes and pieces. Right. At that time, I was actually considered an idiot. Most yeah, of the I, <laughs> on the business were there. Go, are you insane? You spent that much money for you know? Because a done car was, I think, forty. I remember somebody bought a car for forty thousand dollars, and it was oh, done wow. and running and driving. So a wow. ten thousand dollar difference. People were just saying, "Are you insane?" You know that. Mm. You'll, and but at the same time, for me. I didn't have $10,000 at yeah. that time. I mean, yeah. just couldn't afford to write another $10,000 check. I had borrowed, I think maybe five or $10,000 to even make the $30,000 back yeah. then. Yeah. But what, what had happened was, um, you know, that was the cost of the car, you know, yeah. and, and I was the only person that put my hand up. I joke about it. I was like, in 1999, I was considered an idiot today. I'm a genius, Yeah. but yeah. it wasn't, so much as the fact that I knew that the car was ever going to go up in value. Uh, it was course, that, I that wanted. Was, that it has nothing the, to do with yeah, money. Yeah, that wasn't the intention, was it? It wasn't to buy it because it's going to appreciate in value. It's buying it no, because you want something. No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. No, none of us. And yeah. and I don't think that, you know, it, it really should be the motivation for someone who's who's getting involved in, in a project or, mm. or any of that. I mean, yeah. I think no one wants to waste their money. I mean, I looked yeah. at $30,000 at that time. Yeah. Um, buying that car um it, it, i wasn't throwing it away i mean obviously if it was really that crazy i don't think my wife would even let me sign the check but mm, at, yeah, at the same yeah. time you look at the value of the parts and you said okay well these if worse comes worse i can i can sell the parts and get mm. some of my money out it wasn't like i was just throwing yeah. money away but yeah. um it was really um anytime you buy a project you, you it there is a certain amount of uh, of of rationality you have to look into the money of it yeah but yeah. um passion of of what it is that you want and and how you're going to attain it is, mm. is probably what you should really look at yeah and, 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 just, and be happy with what you own yeah absolutely and, and just just to sort of clarify for the listeners i mean you know although you've you've purchased the car for 30k um you know the, the cost of then restoring it has been considerable so it's not that you know um you know you buy the car sure, and, and i you knew can that my time cheap. and i knew that my time was going to be free i mean mm. i i knew that you know it was that if you were to pay someone yeah um i don't believe it ever makes true sense if the market stays static yeah. i think that if the market stays static you, you never really come on on yeah. top and i'm saying yeah. this now as, as doing it professionally mm. is that it, it doesn't make sense if, if the market doesn't it doesn't move yeah. up yeah but um i think there's a there's a certain amount of investment into it that if you buy it right you can mm. you can still come up on top of it also yeah. there's a different motivation to, to wanting to restore a car or put work into a car yeah. because you'll know what what went into it and you'll know what you have out of it when i did my restoration you know there were things that i i was taking cutting corners um was i being cheap no i was being you know pragmatic about Mm. it i mean taking Mm. the paint off of my car was just not an issue it was because i I was not going to spend the money to redo it yeah it's certainly to to 85 90 of the world the paint looks great you know to those who understand what paint is they Mm. can certainly see problems and blemishes in the paint they can see that the rear window was never removed when they painted it Mm. but but again, those are things that I'm willing. I'm okay with living with it because yeah. it was a it was a car that I that I owned. I drove, and you know mm. those that sometimes fault that. Yeah. Uh, you know what we do is we say, well, where's your Ferrari? 
So that is part one of the Tom Yang interview. And wow, I have to just say, I mean, it was such a pleasure talking to Tom um, and for him to go into so much detail and so much honesty about the whole experience and what the car has meant for him and what he's been able to learn in the process. Um, that was really was fantastic. And I, I the, the actual interview was initially supposed to be just a one session interview. But by the time we finished the conversation, um, you know, we were like, you know, that, that was half of it. So there's another half to come. And it was just would have been too long as one uh, episode. And initially, I thought maybe I can cut some things out. But there was really nothing I could cut out. So um, apologies, uh, but the part two will will be um, coming out next week. Um, so listen out for that. The only final thing for me to say before I leave you guys is um, subscribe to us on iTunes, on Google Play, uh, leave comments, uh, leave us a, f uh, a five-star rating if you think we're five-star, great. Uh, if you think we can make an improve improvements to the show, let us know about that as well. We're only just starting out, so obviously things will develop and change as we go through. Um, but, you know, we're really looking forward to producing more episodes for you guys. So we'd love to hear from you. So that's it for now. Ciao.